Before we open God's Word together, we have a special testimony from one of our brothers here within our church family. Uh, Mr. Lamar Whitaker is going to come and, and share with us this morning. Today marks an anniversary for him of something very monumental that happened in his life last year at this time. And he wanted to come and share with us, his church family, how God has been working in his life then and now. Go ahead, brother. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord has laid on my heart to give my testimony. And I asked uh, Pastor Nathan if I could have a few minutes to share it with you. And I would like to tell you about the power of prayer, God answers prayer, and the miracle. Someone sent me a message that said I was the luckiest man in the world. My response to that is, I don't believe in luck. I'm not lucky. I'm blessed. Everything that I have in my life. is because of the grace and mercy of God. We will all go through storms. Your storms are different from mine, but we will go through storms. Yours may be that you or someone close to you that has cancer, heart disease, blood clots, lung problems, marital problems, financial problems, diabetes, loss of a job, loss of a spouse, loss of a child, and now some the virus, the Delta virus has someone. <clears throat> These types of people are the, the people that are just going into the storm and then are in the middle of a storm or coming out of a storm. God did not say that it would be easy to be a Christian, but he did say that he would send a comforter uh, to protect, guide us through these storms of life. I've been through a lot of storms in my life. In June of 72, I went through a flood and lost. <coughs> this next one is the hardest. March the 13th. You guys have to excuse me. I lost my wife of 27 years. When God closes one door, he always opens up another. And it's left up to us to pick ourselves up and walk through that door. Two years later, I met Mary and married. We've been married for 14 years. On February the 13th, 2014, I had a quadruple heart bypass. And I also have two aneurysms that I have to be concerned about. One on the aorta of my heart, which is 4.0 centimeters, and one in my stomach, which is 2.6 centimeters. 
and they won't do anything to them until they reach around five centimeters. They check them every year, and they have not grown in the past three years. I cannot sit around in fear and worry about the aneurysm because fear is not one of the spirits, fruits of the Spirit. In Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalms 23.4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And God has always been with me, holding my hands, walking beside me, or carrying me through these storms. I would like to tell you about some of the events from the most recent storm that Mary and I have gone through. I've been having shortness of breath for about two weeks. I went to my primary care doctor, and they did a test on me, and it showed that I have the lungs of an 87-year-old man, even though I'm only 74. Uh, and I went to the, my heart doctor a week later, and he confirmed with the uh, primary care doctor that I did, and they set me up to go to see a, a lung doctor, which never happened. Have you ever heard the expression, life can change in the drop of a hat? Well, mine changed when I blew my nose. This Sunday morning was a year ago. I woke up at 6 a.m., breathing good, had a good night's rest, went to the kitchen to get, turn the coffee pot on to get me a cup of coffee. I got a napkin to blow my nose, and my life changed. I blew all the oxygen out of my lungs, and I could not breathe no matter what I did. I was scared, afraid, and fear came on me. And I went and woke Mary up and said we needed to go to the hospital. i never seen Mary dress that fast. But she asked if we needed to call an ambulance. And I said, no, we'd be at the hospital before the ambulance could get here. I do not know how fast she was driving. But God opened the way. Very little traffic, no police officers, and all the lights were green. It normally would take about 15 to 20 minutes to get from our house to the hospital. It took us 11 minutes. The whole time, my face was on, on the AC duct trying to get air into my lungs. I was praying for God to forgive me of my sins, but not once did I ask him to heal me. All I said Thy will be done, not mine. On arriving, they wheeled me into the ER, put an oxygen line on my nose so I could breathe better. And then they started working on both arms, trying to get IV in. And they did a scan of my lungs and found that I had a, a massive blood clot, one in each lung. The doctor, Dr. Griffin, told Mary, the daughter and son-in-law, that it was a miracle I was still with them. Later, later, the doctor came and told Mary that I was stable but in critical condition. And he had decided to air flight me to Sacred Heart. That would be about a 25-minute trip. 
by ambulance. It would have been an hour and a half or two hours. We boarded the helicopter around 10.30. Normally, there are only two flight nurses. For some reason, there was three on this flight. In the flight, the nurse was rubbing my shoulder and asking if I was okay, and I gave her a thumb up. God still had his hands on me. On arrival at Sacred Heart, a team of doctors and nurses were waiting for me. And the first thing they did was to get me to sign a form authorizing them to treat me. Then they did the COVID test. Thank God it came back negative. So I didn't have to fight the virus, and at the time I did not know that I had a blood clot. I looked out the ER door, and all three of the flight nurses stopped and looked back at me, and I gave them a thumbs up. A doctor was standing at my feet and said that a surgical procedure was set up to go up my groin up to the blood clot to break it up. They also did some other tests before taking me to the ICU critical care unit. The doctor was uh, once in ICU, they started an IV with a blood thinner and put a mask on me that was connected to a machine that was forcing 100% oxygen to my lungs so I could breathe. In reference to that, if you take your hair blower and turn it on high and hold it up to your head, that's how much force air that was coming in my lungs. And Dr. Marco came in and said to Barry, that it was a miracle. And very few people lived through what I was going through. They tested my blood every four hours to make sure that the blood thinner was working. And the numbers continued to improve. Monday morning, Dr. Rivera came in, and he said it was a miracle, and I was well blessed. But I was still in critical condition, but not out of the waters yet. That reminded me of the story in Matthew chapter 14, after feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus commanded his disciples to go to the other side. But the boat was in the midst of the sea, tossed by the waves and the winds were blowing, and in the middle of the night, Jesus came to them walking through the storm, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it would be thou, bid me to come to thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter stepped out of the boat in faith, walking on the water through the storm to Jesus. But he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And they walked back to the boat hand in hand through the storm. And as soon as they were in the boat, the storm stopped. What can we learn from Peter walking on the water? It can be far too easy to take our eyes off of Jesus and be consumed with our circumstances. When we only look at what is around us, we cannot see things that God sees them. When Peter looked at his surroundings, his faith withered, and he began to sink. And when we keep our eyes on God, we can walk by faith. What is the significance of Jesus walking on the water? Jesus walking on the water symbolizes God's control over the elements, including the storms of life. 
We believers should not be afraid of the storms of life, but instead we should place our complete faith and trust in God. This is telling me no matter what storms of life we are going through, always keep our faith and our eyes on Jesus. Monday morning, Dr. Marco came in and said that all my numbers are great and that he wanted me to get out of bed on Tuesday and eat breakfast, sitting in a chair and breathing the room air. Tuesday morning, I got out of bed and was sitting in a chair and my oxygen level was between 95 and 98. All of the doctors and nurses that came by said that it was I was not the same person I was two days ago. Dr. Marco came back that afternoon and asked if I wanted to go home, but he wanted me to walk around the nurses' stations three times to see how I breathed on the room air. And my, the oxygen level stayed between 88 and 95, which is that's great. The Lord had really blessed me, and I was able to go home. I mentioned to you about the three doctors that said it was a miracle. The three flight nurses and the three trips around the nurses' station. I asked Mr. Billy Barnes, what does the three mean in the Bible? He said it's the divine intervention, divine holiness, completeness, and protection. The number three also associated with the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. This means that when you receive the protection, guidance, and help from a divine force, and your angels are protecting you and giving you support and strength. The chorus from the song that we just heard, Living by Faith, sums up my life. And it says, Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confining in his great love. From all harm safe in his shelter and arms, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. I would like to thank you for all your text messages, phone calls, cards of well wishes, meals, and most of all, your prayers. God does answer prayers. And I am that miracle from those prayers. Thanks be to God. In closing, I would like to read the scripture in the Bible of my favorite passage. And Pastor Nathan has been preaching on this passage for the past few Sundays. And that's the 23rd Psalm. So, I ask if you're physically able, please stand and read with me so we can give God all the glory and praise that he well deserves. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overrun. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with a humble and thankful heart for your many blessings. We thank you for this beautiful morning that you have so graciously given to us to come into your house as brothers and sisters of Christ, to read and study your word and to sing praises to you. And most of all, to thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save us from our sins. I pray if there is someone here today that needs to make the biggest decision of their life, they would do so, and that the Holy Spirit would touch each heart. I pray that you would fill Pastor Nathan with the Holy Spirit. Give, give him the words to say. I pray that you would take away all distractions, open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you better, and open the ears so we can hear your word. We ask this all in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you may be seated. Lamar, thank you so much for sharing, brother. Last year when that took place, I remember there was a big gathering in Lamar's Sunday school class and everybody prayed over him and numerous people came up to me. Have you heard about Lamar this morning? Have you heard about Lamar? And he approached me very shortly after recovering and making it back to church, and he said, I really want to share my testimony of how God delivered me through all of that. But at that time, we were having two services, and he was still recovering. He was still weak. And I said, Lamar, let's, let's wait until we have one service again, and all of our church can be together. You can say it one time. And so Lamar didn't let it go. The Lord kept it on his heart. What's also impressive to me is that it's extremely difficult for Lamar Whitaker to stand in front of an audience and speak to people, but he would not let it go because the Lord wouldn't let him let it go. When he came to the office to talk to me about getting up here and and sharing that testimony, he was telling me all the individual people one by one that he had shared that testimony with and, and maybe more abbreviated version or maybe not quite as typed up or official, but He shares that story every chance that he gets because when God has radically changed our hearts, when God has radically changed our lives, it's something we cannot be quiet about. Lamar was compelled to come and stand in front of all of you. And this is the absolute last place that Lamar Whitaker wants to be. He's on our building and grounds committee, folks. Lamar's the guy that just makes things work in the background, and he doesn't ever want you to point him out. He's one of those guys that says, Pastor, if I've done something and you call me out from that pulpit, I'm going to meet up with you in the parking lot afterwards, and we're going to have words. So I want you to understand It is a compulsion from God that led him to this place. And I think in life we have a lot of those same feelings and a lot of those same experiences about a lot of things. But seldom ever does it seem like those feelings when they're about the Lord, when they're about the church, that they truly catch fire. A lot of times when something great happens in our lives and God has done something truly miraculous, we almost downplay it. You know, that that was great. That was wonderful. Thank you for those prayers. We're we're commonly the people that when we turn around and beg God for something, then he answers and delivers it. And we may not even remember to say thank you for how he showed up, for how he delivered us through whatever trial, whatever circumstance it may have been. 
and somebody is put in our path. God gives us somebody to share that miraculous story with. Maybe it's not a blood clot in your lungs. Maybe it's something else that is very personal and specific to you and your scenario. But we're seldom courageous enough to even share with that person we run into at the grocery store. Or share with that person who works beside us all day, every day. Or share with that person that we go to class with every single week. And yet we don't have the courage or the boldness to share with the people closest to us. Sometimes we don't even share with our extended family. We get together in these big family get-togethers. And if you're like me, in those moments, in those settings, you just want to blend in. You don't really remember all your extended family's names. And you don't really want to fully interact if you don't have to. Because you're going to be the guy that they walk up and you go, Hey! You, wow, how great to see you. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. My, my cousin. Yeah, cuz, what's up? You don't any more remember their name than anybody in the world. They could be a stranger walking up to you. You'd have no clue any difference other than they're there at your family reunion. And these are the people that we shy away from. These are the people that we won't tell the incredible things that God has done for us. People that we're related to, but we only see maybe once a year. Well, we only see them once a year. We don't really want to shake things up too bad. We don't really want to make things awkward. I mean, they're already awkward. We don't want to make them more awkward. But let's watch Alabama football, or let's watch Auburn, or let's watch Florida, or whatever your team is. Maybe it's not football, whatever your sport is, and let Alabama throw a huge 40-yard pass and run it all the way back for a touchdown. Woo! Roll Tide! All right. Oh, man, I got that. Where's my phone? I got to call him up. Hey, man, bro, did you see that? I cannot believe the quarterback. He hit him in stride. There ain't no way that anybody could have put that ball more perfectly in his head. This team ain't got a hope. How excited do you get at a strong or an Andalusia game? With all you people, you, boy, let them, let them jugs with rocks in them ring out, right? Woo! Did y'all see that? You go to Andalusia's football games, everybody's standing up. You hug a stranger. You don't even know this person, but you're so excited about what just happened on a field of grass that you give a random stranger a hug. And yet, we're afraid to tell people how God is moving in our lives. Lamar is alive and should be dead. And we're afraid to tell people about Lamar's story. We'll leave here today and we'll talk at lunch. How did church go today? Well, you know, Lamar about, about got emotional a few times there, but he pulled through and he did all right. Hey, how about the fact that he should be dead and God preserved his life and was merciful to him? Oh, I mean, yeah, that, that part was kind of cool, too, I guess, you know, if you're, if you're into that kind of thing. Is this not us? We'll sit around and critique how Lamar presented what he said, but ignore the content of what took place. God is at work in our lives every single day. And we don't have the courage or the boldness to just tell one person. And there's a lot of biblical foundation for just having the courage to go and tell one person. There's an apostle that I just want us to look briefly at this morning. His name's Andrew. He was Peter's brother. And almost every time in the nine times that he shows up in the New Testament, he is referenced as Andrew, Peter's brother. 
You ever been that family member? That's that's me a lot of times. Hey, do y'all know Nathan? He goes with Wayne and Terry. You know, Michael's little brother, you know, Neely. Neely Woodley, you know, that principal, that's, that's her little brother. That's, that's me. I, I can relate very well to being that family member. You know, the one who's related to the other person. And that was Andrew. But Andrew's one of the first disciples. Without Andrew, we, we don't really have Peter. Look with me in John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 29 through 51. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 51. Beginning in verse 29. The next day he, that's John the Baptist, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. The two disciples of John the Baptist heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God. And they, those two disciples, left John and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, you know, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock or stone. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God for it. Folks, don't miss that the whole point of that passage hinges on two guys who were so excited about this good news about the Messiah, about Jesus, that they had to go and tell one other person. Andrew had to go and tell his brother. This news about Jesus was so good, he had to go and compel his brother Peter to come and hear about Jesus. The invitation from both of these men, come and see they go and they find Philip, and Philip runs, and Nathaniel tells Nathaniel and says, you got to come meet this guy, Jesus. They have been radically changed, and so it's not about a thousand people. It's not about the day of Pentecost. It's not about Simon Peter preaching and thousands coming to know the Lord. It's about Andrew, who was a simple behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Probably the kind of guy a lot like Lamar Whitaker. Just made things happen. Just got things done. And he went to one person and was willing to share Jesus with that one person. Andrew saw value in people. He saw significance in what God was doing. And he was going to share with that one person. You know, most people don't actually come to Jesus by going to some big revival I know that we go to these big revival events. I know that Billy Graham was incredible, and I don't want to take away anything from his ministry. But I want to assure you that the majority of people that truly come to know and follow the Lord, it's not a quick emotional decision at a big rally or a big event. Oftentimes that doesn't stick. What sticks is when one person cares enough to invest in one other person. It changed Peter's life that Andrew was willing to compel him to come and meet Jesus. It changed Nathaniel's life that Philip compelled him to come and to see Jesus. Andrew is also the one that we see in John chapter 6 who brings the little boy to Jesus who's just got a few loaves and some fish. Andrew brings one little boy to Jesus. In John chapter 12, when there's a couple of Greeks who should not even be allowed to be in Jesus' presence because they're not Jewish, we see that it is Andrew who gets those couple guys and brings them to Jesus. Andrew may not be the guy up front. He may not be the Billy Graham. He may not be the D.L. Moody. He may not be the Charles Spurgeon. But he's the guy who was the Sunday school teacher or the person who cared enough to share the gospel with D.L. Moody, with Charles Spurgeon, with Billy Graham. You, You can look at all of those stories, each one of those incredible men who helped lead thousands to trust in the Lord and and led incredible ministries. Each one of them only knew the Lord because one person invested in them long term and was bold enough and courageous enough to share the gospel with them one on one and continue to pour into their lives. The gospel was so good, Andrew ran to his brother and said, you've got to come and meet Jesus You and I today see an incredible play on the football field and we run to somebody, a friend, a close relative, a distant relative, 
a stranger sitting next to us to celebrate the great thing that God has done on whatever sport field it is. And how often do you and I run to somebody with boldness to say, God has forever changed my life. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to stand up here and command everybody's attention. Man, the story about the man who shared the gospel with D.L. Moody. He walked past the shoe store where D.L. Moody was working. He was an introvert. He was scared out of his mind. He talked himself out of it because he said, what if I go in there and I share the gospel with him and then all of his co-workers make fun of him? So he circled back and as he passed back by that store the second time, he said, that's it, I'm going to do it. And he rushed inside and he cornered D.L. Moody in the back and he said something to the effect of, you, you need Jesus and, 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 and he's the only way. And D.L. Moody was convicted right there on the spot, gave his life to Jesus. This was the same man who'd been teaching him Sunday school week in and week out. The same man that continued to teach him Sunday school week in and week out. His words were scattered and all over the place. He didn't have some eloquent presentation put together. But he was bold enough and courageous enough to go to some one person and tell them how much they needed Jesus. In the last week, How often have we shared with, not a crowd, how often have we told one other person something that God's doing in our life? In the past month, September just started. We're we're just a few days into September. All of August. Take all of August. How often did you brag on God and what God is doing, what God has done in your life? How often did we share the gospel in the month of August? How often did we tell somebody that there is hope for salvation? There is escape from eternal torment through the blood, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the one perfect Messiah. How often were we Andrew through the summer? Were you Andrew this summer? Was there one person that you were willing to share Christ with? Church, we're we're about to start walking into a nationwide strategy or campaign or something from the Southern Baptist Convention, from the North American Mission Board. I have read about this. I have seen this. It is powerful. It is impactful. It's called Who's Your One? That's what's in the bulletin there. I want us to be challenged as a church, myself, our staff, our deacons, everyone included, to spend the next week, before we come back next week, and think and pray through who is that one person that I can begin to pray for, that I can begin to look for opportunities to have a gospel conversation with. That I could begin to move things in a spiritual direction in our day-to-day conversations. And right now, as I say that, there may be somebody that immediately pops into your head. I want you to know that the majority of the time, that's probably your one. That's probably the one that God is calling you to share with. We're going to spend a season looking at how to live our lives like Andrew. To live our lives like Philip and at the very least bring one to Jesus. 
Even if we don't have the courage to walk through the Romans road, invite somebody to come to church. Invite somebody to come to this place and meet these people and let them see Jesus in us. But you know, a lot of times we're scared to do even that. Well, pastor, you know, there's, you know, the Delta variants going around. We need to take that very seriously. Yes, I do. I do take that very seriously. And that is no joke. And there are people who have died. There are people who are dying from the Delta variant of COVID-19. And it is awful. Every way of dying is tragic and awful. Delta is no more tragic than cancer or anything else. And all of those risks were still here. And how many of us are now using this Delta variant as a crutch for, I can't invite somebody to church. What if they're afraid to gather? Invite them to your house and say, we'll watch it together online and sit eight feet apart. I'll hook up a TV outside and you can watch church with me. Some of y'all are watching right now. God bless you. Thank you for watching. COVID is not a valid excuse to stop sharing the gospel and inviting people to Jesus. And some of us weren't doing it before COVID showed up. And now we sure as heaven aren't doing it now. How many of us have to stand by the caskets of friends and family members and say, man, I I really, I don't know if they ever trusted in the Lord. I don't know where they are now. Do you know how reassuring it is to stand beside that casket and know I did everything I could, though? I laid it out there for them. I made it plain and I told them, I wish they would have trusted. I wish they would have come around. But there was nothing else that I could have done because I left it all on the field with them. They knew where I stood. They knew what the, what the reality of heaven and hell is and was. Can we say that? Folks, we've got a message that brings hope to the whole world. And we're more excited about football season starting than we are about the gospel. So let's take a week. And let's spend a week praying and asking God, put somebody in my way that is the one person that I need to pray for, that I need to share with, that I need to do everything in my power to reach. And maybe it doesn't happen in one year or one day or one week. Maybe it takes 10 years, but 10 years spent chasing that one is still time well spent. Jesus left the 99 to chase how many? One. How willing are we to chase each of us just one? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking in your mind as I preach these things, you know that's right, preacher. Ain't nobody told me about Jesus. Ain't nobody invite me to this church. I just stumbled my way in. You know, a lot of times we don't even invite people to church that are looking for a church. People move in next door to us. Hey, have you seen a a good Baptist church around? Do you know very few of us are still willing to be like, well, yeah, go to one. I'd love for you to come with me. Yeah, we got a lot of churches around town. You you can try any one of them. That'd be great. I I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to, you know, be too forceful. (laughs) I I mean, you know, like recommend my church. I, I don't know. So maybe you just stumbled in here today. Maybe nobody invited you. Maybe you did get invited. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing That when we die, there are only two options. We all will die, and we will all face judgment. There is a heaven, a paradise, 
whosoever will believe in the name of Jesus. He died our death. He took our punishment. But for all those who don't believe, who don't trust in that gift of grace and mercy, there is nothing but torment and punishment for all eternity. This morning, don't leave this place today without knowing where you will spend eternity. Without trusting that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of all lords. He is King of all kings. He is worthy of our devotion. And even though we don't talk about Him as often as we should, He's very much worth talking about. If you've never trusted in Jesus, I encourage you to, in a moment, when we sing, come down front. I'd love to talk to you about it. If you've been walking with Jesus for years, and you realize maybe some of those things in that sermon hit a lot closer to home than I'd like for them to, altar's open. Use these steps as a way to just kneel before the Lord and say, God, show me the one that you would have me share with. I'm going to pray for us. Jason's going to come and lead us. Let's respond as the Holy Spirit leads. God in heaven, Lord, forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. We are not bold. We are not courageous. We do not share as we ought. Forgive us when our excitement and our attention is directed at other things in life. Father, I pray that you would renew within us a fire and a passion for your word. Lord, that you would remind us daily of how you are still working miracles. Providing jobs, protecting us as we drive. Healing blood clots. Making the finances line up when they never should have. Giving us food when we're hungry and water when we're thirsty. Lord, help us to share with others. Show us who we might share with. Put them in our path. Don't let us get away from them. Don't let us run from this command. Lord, we ask as we move into a time of response that you might stir our hearts that we might live boldly for you. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.